Hi, my name is Natasha, and I've been coming to St. Stephen's for close to two years now. The second Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1239 of the Pew Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting from verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is God's word. Thank you, Natasha. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time visiting us, uh, on the inside of the newsletter, there is an outline of the talk. You might find that helpful. There, there's some space there for you to take notes if you like, but they'll help you follow the talk along. There's also a full transcript of the talks uh, out the front, so if you need that and find that helpful, uh, you're welcome to make use of that as well. Well, today we'll be thinking about this. It follows on from what we looked at last week. Last week was... Um, very serious passage where we considered death and life. And this follows on from that when Christ will return. And so let's commit our time again to the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Uh, do keep your Bibles open. We will make our way through these verses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might now fill our minds with what we must hear and believe and convict our hearts in what we are to hold dear that our lives might be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it's perhaps true that we all make plans in all sorts of ways, and it's good to always make plans. It's good to be organised, and that's a wise thing. Now, I suspect so for, for many of us, we'll have short-term plans. Now, with school holidays starting, for us who are parents or grandparents, it means plans for how do we entertain the kids so that they, they remain behaved and doing what they're doing. Perhaps short-term plans to do the chores that have been left undone for quite a while. But uh, there's a link. Uh, school holidays, kids, maybe they can help out with the chores during this time. Or plans during this time to visit friends, family, spend time with those we haven't seen for a while. There are short-term plans we might have. Now, for many of us, we might have some long-term plans. Uh, long-term plans. What will I be doing in five years' time? 
Where will I be living in five years' time? What will I be doing in ten years' time? What are my plans then? Well, it's good to make plans, isn't it? We, we are wise if we do and plan for things. But the question I want to ask us this morning is, if we know that the world is ending soon, how would that change your plans? How would it change your short-term plans? How would it change your long-term plans? If we knew that the world was ending soon, how would you then invest your efforts? I mean, if the world was ending soon and very soon, I would stop gardening. That's such a <laughs> drain. I would stop it. But do you know that the world, according to some, was in fact meant to end on the 23rd of April this year? So that was one prediction. Well, obviously, that didn't happen. This guy by the name of David Mead, that was his second attempt at predicting. It didn't happen. Well, did you know that according to another prediction, the end of the world was meant to be last Sunday, the 24th of June. That was according to some middle-age uh, uh, maths calculation. Of course, that didn't happen. We're still here. We're still in church. How, how fortunate. Or another prediction is that the end of the world will be later this month when there will be a total lunar eclipse. They call it a blood moon. Now, if the world was going to end at the end of this month, that might not be a bad thing. I would stop gardening. I'm not going to bother gardening. Or if it really was going to end, any planned surgeries. Forget that. Forget the surgery. I know for Yvonne. Anyway, if the world was going to end in a few weeks' time, she wouldn't be too disappointed. Now, she's not looking forward to spring at all, even though the, day will be, the days will be longer, days will be warmer. She's not looking forward to, to spring. Now, you might be wondering why. It's because on these cold, dark, drizzly mornings, I have to drive her to walk, uh, work. But when spring comes, she's on her bike again, so she's not looking forward to that. <laughs> but more seriously, if we knew that the world was going to end and to end soon, how would that change your plans? Your short-term plans, your long-term plans? Well, I suspect it would. It would change it in all sorts of ways. And that's why throughout human history, so many people, thousands in fact, have predicted that the world was going to end, the world's going to end, the world was going to end, and there were so many, and many of them, of course, failed. And so, for example, 365, it was predicted by a French bishop the world was going to end. didn't happen. Another one in 793, the world was meant to end, prophesied by a Spanish monk, didn't happen. In 1533, it was meant to be Judgment Day, calculated by a mathematician, didn't happen. 1688, another mathematician calculated the world was going to end, didn't happen. And when that failed, he made another prediction that it was going to be 1700. Well, that didn't happen too. In 1697, a Puritan predicted the world was going to end, didn't happen. He revised that to 1716, didn't happen. And then when that didn't happen, he revised it again to 1736. That didn't happen too. Well, he died in 1728, so he didn't see that his last prediction didn't, didn't make it. And there's more. 1914, Jehovah's Witness predicted the world was going to end. Didn't happen. Revised it to 1915, didn't happen. 1918, let's try that, didn't happen. 1920, 
Didn't happen, let's try that again. 1925, didn't happen. 1941, didn't happen, let's try it again. 1975, they predicted, no, didn't happen. 1994, didn't happen. 1997. Now, I think that Jehovah's Witness made a, uh, took a little break from the predicting business. They, they all didn't work. And then, in 1994, Harold Camping, Harold Camping, he predicted the world was going to end, that Jesus was going to return. Didn't happen, revised it again, 2011, didn't happen, and again, 2011, didn't happen. But you get the point. Thousands have predicted the world was going to end, but they didn't happen. But you can understand why they made all those predictions. Because if you know when the world is going to end, your life will change. You change your plans. You live differently. And you, in fact, try to make sense of the life and the times that you have left. And so that's why in this text that we're looking at today, we can, in a sense, understand the feelings of this church that Paul was writing to, to the Thessalonians. You see, they wanted to know, when will the world end? When will Jesus return? Because we want to be prepared for his return. But then Paul says something quite extraordinary. He says, you prepare by not working out when Jesus will return, you prepare not by working out the times and the seasons. You prepare differently. Have a look at verse 1. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 1 we read this. About the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you. And Paul is saying that because Paul is teaching them that the return of Jesus will in fact be sudden and unexpected. So don't bother working out the time and the seasons. It will be unexpected. Just like a thief in the night. You never expect it to happen. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now this is not suggesting that Jesus is going to come back like a thief, to steal. But it is telling us that his return will be sudden and unexpected. It will just come. It will spring upon us. Now you can understand why Paul uses that illustration, don't you? In Victoria, do you know that the average home burglary rate is 1 in 67 homes? 1 in 67 homes. My old suburb of Ardea, where... When we got married, we lived in Adi for a few years before moving to Sydney. That is the seventh most burgled suburb in Victoria, one in 32 homes. In Surrey Hills, you know how many? What's the, what the stat is? It's one in 71 homes, so it's a bit better. But you think about this. How are homes burgled? How is it at all possible that thieves can come in, break in and steal? Well, it's not like this happens. Thieves are not that considerate. They don't warn residents before they come in. They don't, they don't write a postcard. Dear resident, on Monday night, while you're away watching the movies, I saw your post on Facebook. I'll be coming by, entering your backyard, which you always leave open, and I'll come in through your bedroom window to steal all your jewellery and cash and whatever valuables you have. I mean, is that what thieves do? Well, of course not. They don't do that. I mean, if all thieves gave such warnings and wrote postcards like that, there wouldn't be any burglary in Victoria, and it wouldn't be a surprise. You wouldn't be watching the movies anymore, would you? You'll be at home with a baseball bat waiting for a smackdown, or maybe you just call the police. 
But Paul is telling us here the return of Jesus will be a bit like that. The end of the world will be sudden and unexpected. But it will also be, what we see here, sudden and inescapable. It will affect the entire world. No one will escape it. You're on a deserted island. It will affect you as well. And what we're seeing here is things might be going well and we just get on with life. The normality of life, the, the ups and downs of life. Life is cruising, going along smoothly, without a care in the world. Work is going well, family's going well. Holidays all planned and all good. But then suddenly... Just like labour pains, the contractions come. And when it comes, you can't stop it. You can't escape from it. I still remember the first time Yvonne went into labour and contractions started. And when they do begin, you're meant to uh, time it. They, They get stronger and closer together, stronger, longer, closer. And when it starts, that is it. You know, it has started. There's no escape. There's no return. You can't say, stop that. I don't want that. I'm, not, I'm too busy for the, that now. No, it's off to the hospital. And so here we see that the end of the world will be inescapable. No one can escape it. But here, when the uh, coming comes, it's not the pains of labor. What we see here is, in fact, quite frightening. It's death and destruction when the end of the world comes. Look at verse 3. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them, like labour pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Inescapable, the whole world. Now we have to understand the weight of this verse. You see, no one escapes that day when Jesus chooses to return. We might be on holidays in Fiji. There's no escape. We can't get away from him. We might be in the middle of the traffic. There's no escape. We might be in the middle of our exams. Jesus returns. There's no escape. Perhaps at that point, if you're in exams, you might want to escape. We might be in the middle of surgery. There's no escape. But you see what Paul is saying here is clear, isn't it? There is no hiding from God when Jesus returns, when it becomes judgment day. There's no pretending to play dead fish when Jesus returns. Even the dead we know will be raised back up to judgment. And so the return of Jesus will be sudden, unexpected and inescapable. And so Paul says, don't bother working out the times and the seasons and the dates. Forget predicting. It will happen and when it happens, you will know it. Now I wonder how that makes you feel, knowing that Jesus will return anytime. It will be inescapable, it will be sudden, it will be unexpected. How does it make you feel? I suspect for many of us it's just unsettling. It's uneasy. I mean, we've got our life planned out. We've got our plans for holidays. The tickets are already booked, but if it comes, we don't get to go. You've got a new job, but if it comes, you don't get to start that new job. You've planned a massive birthday party, but if it comes, there's no chance to celebrate that. Or you might even be engaged, but if he comes, you don't get to marry. So whatever plans we have, whatever hopes we have for it to be fulfilled, when Jesus returns, that is it. Now, I find that it's hard to feel the weight and the sense of that. That is it. Not just for us who are in the church, not just for Christians, but the entire world. That is it. 
The world will come to an end. And so when the day comes, what then are we to do? Well, Paul tells us here. If the day is coming, we need to be prepared. Paul tells us if the day is coming, we need to be prepared and we need to be alert so that it doesn't take us by surprise. There's this urgency, there's this unexpectedness, and so we need to be prepared. And that's what Paul was reminding the Thessalonians here. He said, because of who they are in Jesus, because they know that they belong to Jesus, that they've been rescued from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You see, that is what happens when someone becomes a Christian. They move from one kingdom to another. They move from death to life, from darkness to light. They belong to Christ now, and they belong to his kingdom. The biggest change anyone can make when they put their faith in Jesus, they move from one kingdom to another. And in God's eyes, there are only those two types of people, those who belong in the kingdom of darkness and those who belong in his kingdom. And so Paul reminds them here, you who are Christians, you who belong to the kingdom of Christ, you belong to the light already. And so the return of Jesus should not take you by surprise. I mean, for us who are believers, who are disciples of Jesus, we may be recent believers, we may be believers for a few decades. When Jesus comes, it's no surprise. We expect it. We are prepared. And so that's what we see. Be prepared, verses 4 and 5. But you, brothers, are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. And so if this is us, if this is you, if we belong to the light, then Paul's teaching here is that we are to live like we belong to the light. We are to be alert be ready and be focused. And that's what Paul goes on to speak about. For us who belong to Jesus, we must be prepared, not complacent. And so firstly here we see, be alert and self-controlled. You see, if we're asleep and not controlled, not self-controlled, asleep when the end of the world comes, of course we'll be surprised by that. We'll be shocked. But Paul says, be prepared. If you are already saved, then you are prepared. Salvation is yours already. You don't need to fear at all when Jesus returns. And so have a look, verses 6 and 7 now. We're moving on. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Now let's take a moment just to reflect on that a bit. When Jesus returns... It should get us to question and ask ourselves, what is it that we want Jesus to find us doing? What is it that we want, us, uh, want Jesus to catch us doing? Now, I remember hearing this story from a minister, a pastor by the name of Francis Chan from the States. He shared this story and it, it convicted me, it, it moved me a bit. He was sharing about his grandmother, a God-fearing lady, a woman in the Lord, and she was sharing, he was sharing how she just longed to spend time with God in prayer, in reading his word, and she just treasured every moment she had with the Lord. 
Now, there was this time when Francis and the family took his grandmother to watch a play at the theatres. And at halftime, you know, at the theatres, during the interval, they have those breaks, Francis, he turned to his grandmother and he asked, Grandma, what do you think about the play so far? He's hoping, well, we've done a nice thing. We brought her to the theatres. She hopefully will be enjoying herself. But she replied, oh, I don't want to be here. I mean, you must be thinking what he would be feeling inside. He's done a nice thing, taking his grandmother to the plays. But he goes on, well, there's nothing bad in the play, no bad words, nothing that was wrong in the play. But then she responded, oh, honey, it's not that. I just don't know if I want to be here when Jesus returns. I'd rather be helping someone. I'd rather be praying for someone. But I don't want Jesus to return and find me sitting in a theatre just watching a play. And she goes on to say, I want him to see that I've been serving him, that I've been praying to him, that I've been waiting for him. I mean, isn't that wonderful in her in her convictions. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with going to the theatres or the movies, but she was a woman who was prepared, living in the light. Jesus could return any time, but she wanted to be prepared, alert and self-controlled. Now, Paul goes on, he says, not just be ready by being self-controlled and alert, but be armed and ready. Be armed and ready. Now, Paul uses now military language, clothing, to paint a picture on, uh, about how you prepare for the return of Jesus. And he describes it as putting on faith and love and hope. It's like putting on clothes at the beginning of the day. You go to work, so you put on your work clothes. You go to play sports, so you put on your sports clothes. But here, Paul is saying, Jesus is retur returning, and so we put on clothes appropriate for that. And so while we wait for Jesus... We are to prepare, we are to dress appropriately. And so he says, put on the armour, like a soldier. Put on the armour of faith and love, close to your chest. And for those of us who are Christians, if we are put on the armour of faith and love, close to our chest, it means that whatever happens in life, there will be difficult days and weeks. And I know for some of us here, it is a difficult week. But I trust in Jesus. He loves me still. Nothing will shake that faith if I keep it close to my chest. And I will love him still, remembering that he loves me so much, gave up his life for me. And then Paul says, like another um, thing the soldiers put on, a helmet, but here a helmet of salvation. I'm so secure, whatever comes my way. Surgery does not go well, it doesn't matter. Cancer takes me down, it doesn't matter because I have the helmet of salvation. I know where I'm going. I know who I belong to. I know where I'll end up. And so look at verse 8. But since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put on the armour of faith and love on our chests and put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so what that says is you be prepared by being a believer. You be prepared by trusting in Jesus. And so be alert, be self-controlled, be armed and ready. And finally now, Paul wants us to remember we are to be focused and active. 
Christians are to be so focused and active, not wasteful, not complacent, not lazy. And here we are to be focused on the gospel. That's the greatest news there is. The only news that will save a dying soul. The only news that will give life to the dead. The only news that will give hope of eternal life and of heaven. We are to be so focused on the gospel. And that's why it's so much work each year with this holiday club. So much work. A whole army of people serving night and day for three days. Why? Because we are focused on the gospel. We want the little ones to hear of the only hope they'll have in their life. And we are to be active, active in declaring the gospel. Not just gospel believers, but gospel proclaimers. And so we are to build each other up with these words. Remember, life is difficult. You had a bad week, a good week, it is difficult, it is struggle. But remember this hope. Let us encourage each other that Christ will return, but we belong to him, we are safe. Look at verses 9 to 11, our final verses. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, as you are already doing. And so what do we see? The day will come. Forget predicting, but it will come. And how do we prepare? Be alert and self-controlled. Be armed and ready. Be focused and active. And so an important question for all of us who ask ourselves this morning, it follows on from what we looked at last week. We will die, but we who are believers will not grieve like the hopeless. Jesus will return to take his people home. And here we're hearing that again. Jesus will return, and it can be any time. And so the question for us to ask ourselves this morning is, are we prepared? Not tomorrow, not in a week's time, not in a month's time, not when I'm older and have more time, but am I prepared today? Am I prepared today? If Jesus was to return today, am I actually prepared for his coming? Am I prepared to see him? Will I be joyful when I see him or will I shake in terror? Am I prepared today? I mean, just imagine if Jesus was to return today during our last song before our service finishes, during morning tea, on the way home, because if it is, it will be inescapable for all of us. And if Jesus was to return today, are we prepared? Now, I suspect, I mean, God sees people in only two groups, those outside his kingdom, those inside his kingdom. And so I suspect that for some of us here, we won't be prepared. Now, there might be some of you here who are still exploring Christianity, coming along each week to hear about Jesus, hear about what God says in the Bible, and that is wonderful. Let me say that is wonderful. It is great. Take the time you need. Try to convince yourself that Jesus is King and Lord of all. He's the one who made you. He's the one who came and died for you. But those of you who are not yet prepared, you need to hear this. And that's what Paul is telling us here. You need to hear that we don't have all the time in the world. Very often when I 
share with those who are not yet believers but exploring Christianity. Many of them feel like, I'm still young. I've got so many years ahead of me. I'll wait until I'm retired or I'm on my deathbed and then I'll consider. Many people do say that. They think I'll have that many years ahead of me, that many decades ahead of me. And so many people think, I'll just wait, I'll just wait. But what this passage is telling us is that you don't have all the time in the world. And that's why even at Christian weddings, you know how the bride and groom says their vows? What do they say at a Christian one, at some Christian ones? They make their vows and you hear them say, it is till death separates us. That's how long I'm promising to stay with you. It is till death separates us. Or in some vows, we also hear the extra line, or until Christ returns first. You see, I'll stick to you until I die or until Christ returns first because there is that expectation that Christ can return any time. And so we should never think, if those of you who are not yet prepared, I'll just believe in my last minute, my last second, of breath that I have on my deathbed. On one level, that is really being unrealistic because we really don't know what will happen to us or how long we have. But on another level, it is really missing out on a life with God where there is love and joy and hope and assurance. It is missing out on a lot. However, I've seen in even my short years of ministry that in God's kindness, some have believed on their deathbed. I have seen that. In fact, five years ago, I had this opportunity to share the gospel with an old lady on her deathbed with terminal cancer and not long to live. And she didn't have very long to live. Every day she was getting weaker and weaker and her family was getting more and more concerned. But in the kindness of God, the daughter of that lady asked if I could come and share. And it was wonderful to have that privilege, that joy, to, to show her, you know your life is coming to an end. There's no doubt about that. Don't, you know, there's no mucking around here. Your life is coming to an end. You don't know how long you have, but you don't have too long. There is something beyond the grave. There is a God who would call you home if you trust in his son Jesus. There is glory. There is heaven if you choose it. Of course, it is your choice. But in God's kindness... She was convicted. She turned to Christ in faith. She believed on her deathbed. Praise to God. But how much better would it have been if she knew of Jesus much earlier on in her life? If she had the joy of living with Jesus her whole life, to know of Christ and salvation and hope for longer, to have opportunity to raise her children up in the faith, to have opportunity to love and serve the Lord with her life, to store up treasures in heaven with her life, to make a difference with her life for those around her. And so in God's kindness, it can happen. But we must heed this. We must not kid ourselves. Jesus can return any minute. And the best way to be prepared is to be prepared not tomorrow, not next week, not when we're retired or on the deathbed, but now. And how? In humble faith, I cannot save myself, but there is a saviour who can. 
I cannot bring life to myself, but there is a Saviour who was raised back to life again and who offers me that life. I can't save myself, but Jesus can. So you prepare by becoming a Christian. And if that is you, for you to consider and to genuinely, seriously consider, and you want to find out more, let me encourage you and urge you to speak to myself or one of the elders or Michelle, because we want you to be convinced before that day comes. But now, of course, for many of you, you are already Christians. You're already in the light. You're already part of the community of God. You belong to Christ. How are we to live for those of us who are already disciples of Jesus? Well, we live by being ready, and we get ready for the end by making the most of today. We live each day like it's our last one. I don't know if I'll be alive tomorrow. I don't know if Jesus will come back tomorrow, so I live today like it's my last one, and I live today like it's my last one for Jesus. That is being useful. That is not wasting my life away. I'm living each day like it's my last one for Jesus. Now that should be true if we are convinced of this, if we believe this. But of course for us who are Christians, it's so easy to be drawn by the world, to live for the world and not for Jesus, to in fact waste our lives for the world and not for Jesus. I mean, let's just imagine if Jesus was to come back before morning tea in an hour's time. Just imagine, what would you do? How would you spend your last hour? I suspect none of us would go home and quickly do all the chores before Jesus returns. I wouldn't do that. I suspect none of us would go home and make sure the garden is neat and pull the weeds. We wouldn't waste our last hour doing that. We wouldn't even waste our last hour checking up on our investments or bank account. We wouldn't waste our last hour going to watch a movie. And we certainly wouldn't, as Christians, waste our last hour in sin and in hatred and in filth. That would be to waste our last hour away. And so what would you do? Well, you make the most of it. You make the most of it, and making the most of it is to make a difference for eternity. Not just for that hour, but for eternity. But if Jesus was to return in an hour, how would our hearts be? For those of us who are already in the light, as Paul speaks of it, for those of us who are already disciples of Jesus, we will be ecstatic. The Lord is coming back. And we will be with him. It means all suffering is gone, all tears wiped, all pain completely off the past, no more hurting, no more killing. The world will be as, as it's meant to be. It's a day we long for, and we will be in glory. If Jesus was to return, mate, we would be looking forward to that. It is such joy. We'll be in glory with our Lord, seeing him in heaven, finally being in our heavenly home our permanent home, where we truly belong. Now, Yvonne and myself, we thought about this. I mean, sometimes we just long, Jesus, return soon, come on. We can't bear it anymore. Return soon, especially while our kids are young. I mean, our kids are 7, 9 and 11. I'd rather Jesus come, comes back while they're young and believers in the family of God. Um, I don't want to wait until Esther becomes a teenager and has all those teenage issues and boys and unbelievable, but 
soon rather than later. But of course, for us who are believers, later rather than soonest, because I know many of us would have loved ones, a brother or a sister, an auntie or an uncle, a father or mother, a son or daughter, a cousin, a friend, someone we love dearly, someone we treasure so much, but we know that they are not yet prepared. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, but not yet. Not until they are prepared. And so how will we use our last hour? To make that type of difference. That those around us might hear of the only hope there is. The hope of the gospel, the hope of salvation, the hope that Jesus brings to us in his death and resurrection. How will you use your last hour? Are you prepared? Well, you see, tomorrow... If Jesus doesn't come back, life will seem to go back to normal. Many of us will go back to work. Many of us will be here at the holiday club. Life just seems to go back to normal. But we must not let go of this tension and this urgency that we have in this passage. It can happen any time. We must sense that urgency. Jesus can come back. Are we prepared? If we are, good. But there are so many around us who are not. And so we stay alert, be self-controlled, armed, ready, focused and active. Are you prepared? Prepared for the coming of Jesus? Well, prepare by believing in Jesus. And if you already do, prepare by making the most of today. We live each day like it's our last for Jesus. And so in light of that, I may... I mean, this is the expectation now, isn't it? I may or may not see you next week if Jesus comes back before then. I'm actually still working next week. I'm not on leave yet, so I will see you if Jesus doesn't come back. But that is the expectation and the urgency we must have and live with. Each day is our last to live for Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you for helping us see that Jesus is returning soon and it can be any day. And so we pray, Lord, that you might help us who are believers to live each day like it's our last day to live for Christ, to not waste it away for the things of this world, but to use it, to treasure it, to build up things that will last into eternity. And we do pray, Lord, for those of us who are still searching, still finding out, still trying hard to believe. We pray, Lord, that in your kindness you might work in that person's heart to help them see that they are not the Saviour, but Jesus is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to sing a very appropriate song to finish our service, and that is the song, See Him Coming. This is our expectation now.